Hello and uh, welcome to Terrace Memoirs episode three of the Her Game 2 series. Uh, we are looking into the, well, it's the latest delve into the life of yet another football supporter. There's plenty of those about. And uh, yeah, if there's anybody who wishes to come on the show, then please let me know. Um, I'll happily chat and listen to you for two hours of your life talking about your, um, your footballing memories. Uh, if you don't know me, you're new to the show. I am Dave Harris. I'm a Reading fan of 32 years, season ticket holder of 22 years. Um, so this episode continues the Terrace Memoirs Her Game 2 series, as I mentioned, throughout the month of June, um, all episodes being dedicated to women in football. And I'm delighted to welcome a Blue Nose, a Birmingham City fan, to the show for the first time. Um, she features as the 10th woman of the um, 12 original Her Game 2 co-creators on the video. Is that right, um, Emily? It is indeed, yep, that's correct. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I can count still. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you've heard her already. It's a big welcome to Emily Drakeley. Um, are you well, Emily? I am very well, thank you very much. Good, good, good. So, Blue Nose, Birmingham City. It's been a bit of a tumultuous few years, hasn't it? Um, but hopefully, I suppose you're thinking with... Um, Someone who I wouldn't necessarily mind being a ready manager in charge in Lee Bowyer. Um, hopefully you're going to be um, not knocking on the door of the, the bottom half of the table, rather the top half next season. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's been a pretty weird, probably last five seasons, I'd say. Um, definitely tumultuous is the right word. I think we all, we've had spells where we've had managers such as Gary Monk where we thought, right, this is the one. We're going to get so much better now. We're not going to be knocking on the door of relegation every season. We're actually going to make some progress. And obviously with Monk, we did, but he had things behind the scenes that wasn't so flavoursome, so to speak. Um, so he went and then we go to big name managers, so to speak, like E.G. Eitel, Karanka, Harry Redknapp, blah, 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 throughout the time. Uh, but actually haven't delivered the goods at all. But then as soon as we get someone that knows the club, that was an ex-player, that completely understands the ethos of the club and is just, he, he seems pure blue through and through, really. Once you've got Lee Boya, the tables turn and very dramatically and quickly did we reach that safety point. Um, it felt like almost overnight, really. And normally we'd be looking at the last 10, 12 games of the season going, hmm, yeah, this isn't this isn't looking good. And we thought when Karanka was in charge, we were like, that's it, we're going down. This is the season, we are down. But then Boya comes in and things just change and, and it was crazy that we were safe before even the end of the season, which was is almost unheard of in blues. Mm -hmm. Was it a surprise that you were able to um sort of drag him out of southeast London, which is of course where he's from? You know, he's started his career at Charlton. Um Obviously, you know, he, he has a really good rapport with uh, with Blues fans, um, being a, you know, well, a wholehearted midfielder, uh, cup winner, of course. He won the League Cup with you in 2000 and what year was that? 2011? Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it a surprise that he, uh, that he, oh, all right, it's a step up in terms of division. Um, but yeah, was the, or, or was it uh, as soon as you, re as soon as his name was mentioned, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get him no problem at all. Well, funnily enough, before Karanka came in, um, I, I put a tweet out saying that I wanted Boya. Um, <laughs> so for me, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this was going to happen anyway. It was just, you know, you should have listened to me in the first place. But um, 
no so I I don't I I think at the time we were just so excited that someone that got us was coming in I think it did almost make sense for him as well because I don't think he was going to get promoted for Charlton again he managed Charlton in championship and done really well bearing in mind his squad in the championship with Charlton was not great I think they had like 14 first team players injured at one point and they nearly stayed up so like Mm -hmm. he's obviously within that one season he he proved what he could do in the championship with a depleted squad and with Blues obviously our squad's not depleted but they were lacking in confidence so it it made sense for him because he knows he can do it for him to come in at a higher level than what he was currently at and to just give it a crack Um, and I think that it was almost a no-brainer, really. I think he always would have imagined coming and, and managing Blues um, from what he said in his interviews. So I think that when when Eitel went, I think he was the first person I was going, come on, please, please get yeah. him in. Because we've had these big-name managers before. They haven't worked out. It, it's all about spending money, but they actually don't get the players that get, get the club. I think the biggest thing with Blues is that we don't, necessarily you don't need the big name players you don't need the big name managers you need people that understand the ethos of the club and what we're all about and Lee Bowyer gets that yes yes exactly um and it was noticeable I mean you'll recall his first game in charge as I do which is really infuriating for me (laughs) um you had the um but at the time, you had the, I think it was the worst home record in the championship at the time. I think you'd only won once or twice or something like that. Um, and they rock up against Reading. And of course, you know, he, he, he changes the team around. Um, the style of play is clearly very different. You know, I thought Karanka is a very technical manager, quite a defensive manager as well. Um, sets his team up uh, um, very, yeah, very defensively. Um, and Lee Boyer just seemed to play to your team's strengths. And that was, there was nothing more. Um, uh, indicative of that than in the first three or four minutes with the first goal with, you know, slinging across to the far post and Jukovic just completely out muscles Liam Moore and, and nods it past Rafael Cabral. Um, uh, so we knew we were in, in for a battle. We couldn't get our game going that day. You know, you were all, all intensity, 100% all the time um, and were deserved winners on the night. Um, and uh, yeah, it was infuriating to watch, but it could see what um, what, what was needed and, and delivered a good straight away, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was saying to James, who's my partner, at the t- uh, I was saying to him at the time, um, it would be so typical for, for Bowyer to come in, his first game to, to be a win and the first home game to be a win. And and because of such our poor, our poor run of that season, we were a semi-decent away from home, but we were terrible at, at, we were terrible at home. Uh, it would just be so typical for Bowyer to come in and just completely turn things around. And I remember him saying in his interview, um, that why would you not basically paraphrasing why would you not play Duke up front you know he's going to score and for like, the whole season with Karanka we weren't really playing Duke up front in a two we were trying to get Hogan up there with the one and it just wasn't working and obviously with mm-hmm. Karanka is a defensive manager he but then he also scored quite a few goals with Middlesbrough in his first season there and you know me and James were always looking at stats and we're trying to work things out together and and understand that he's very hot on that. So he always gives me these fancy things to, to think about. But um, I remember thinking, nah, Bowie's going to come in. He's going to do exactly what we want as Blues fans from the team because we don't, we didn't get on with Karanka's style of play. It just wasn't what we want. And I think that that's the biggest issue is when a manager comes in and 
yeah, okay, he's got an ethos and his ethos has worked at other clubs. And after 10 games, it's not working at this club. If you're not adapting, then there's going to be a problem, which that obviously was. And, and Boya comes in and just completely tips everything on its head and goes, nope, I know that's not working. I'm not going to persevere with that because one, it's not my staff. And two, it doesn't work for this club and does exactly what he thinks should, needs to be done. And it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the the um, the most annoying factors that I have with a manager is if he, you know, they stubbornly stubbornly stick to the same um, philosophy and you know um, and and don't change it when it's so apparent that it's not working. Um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different yeah. result. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was so, through and through. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so the beginning then, take us back to when it first all started for you, because uh, we, we were talking beforehand, um, off before we started the recording, um, that you're not actually from Birmingham itself, are you? You're from the Cotswolds. Um, but how did you get into it? Um, who took you? Um, where did you first go, first game? What you, what you, uh, well, yeah, just take us back to the very start. Okay, so the very start, um, believe it or not, when I was a child, um, I didn't really like football that much. Um, my mum is quite posh um, and my dad comes from Gloucester. Um, and so I, I've had a bit of, uh, my, my upbringing was very, um, very nice, put it that way. I was very well looked after. Uh, my parents were brilliant and they always supported me in whatever I wanted to do. And growing up, it, when I was a child, it was ballet. I used to love ballet um, and dancing and singing and all the typical girl stuff. And then I remember it was the World Cup 2006. I was nine years old. And uh, my dad, he came home from, I come from Stroud in the Cotswolds. And he came mm-hmm. home from Stroud uh, and to our house. And I vividly remember still to this day, my dad walking through the front door. He was wearing um, one of his polo shirts. Um, if he's listening, he'll have a laugh at that because I always take the mick out of him about his four polo shirts that he has since like the 1980s. Um, but he was walking through wearing one of them um, and he had this Sports Direct bag in his hand. Um, well, I don't think it's Sports Direct, but it was the equivalent at the time. And I was like, Dad, what, what's that? And he got out um, a Beckham shirt for him, a Beckham shirt for my little brother and a Rooney shirt for me. And I went, well, why can't I have Beckham? I didn't know anyone else at the time, mine, because obviously I was, I was nine years old and not into football. And the only footballer you'd ever really know of if you didn't like football was Beckham and I was like why can I have Beckham and he says they didn't have Beckham in your size and I was like fine okay I'll have Rooney who's Rooney so my dad sort of explained to me about it and I was like okay cool he scores goals that's cool and then my dad got out this big England flag and I was like okay and then he said to me do you want to watch a game with me and I was like okay fine so I remember staying up late one night I think it was after school um and watching a game with him and we were sat on the sofa with the England flag draped across our lap and I remember just thinking this is really cool um, and I really enjoyed it and I, I really enjoyed spending the time with my dad because my dad used to work in London and he used to travel three and a half hours there and back every day so he was he always got home late and was out of the house really early so to spend time with my dad was so precious to me and I, I think that's what really triggered my my interest in football. And then I remember it was the 
when we got knocked out and I remember watching the penalties and crying. And that was the first time I ever was emotionally involved in football that I remember. And then I didn't really like football again afterwards for a little bit. I sort of, I didn't get the bug again until the next World Cup came around. And um, Fernando Torres triggered that for me. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 next, the next part of the story really is where everything kicks off massively so um, I started watching football um, all my friends were Liverpool fans everyone where I come from either seems to be a Bristol City fan a Liverpool fan Chelsea or Man United and a couple mm-hmm. of Arsenal uh, I don't really know why but I think it's because at the time there was only really Cheltenham and they weren't that big and Forest Green only really started to come about in the last seven or eight years really on a bigger scale so yeah. everyone else used to just sort of watch people on the telly and they're, either their dads used to like them in the 80s, so they supported them, or yeah. they're just the way it is where I come from. It's a bit... If, yeah, if, if, if people... Yeah. Sorry, if, if people aren't, aren't aware of the geography, Stroud is the, the nearest um, town to Nailsworth, which is a little tiny village where Forest Green play. It's about five or six miles away, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. It's not far at all. You go over, you, you really go down a hill and you're in Nailsworth from Stroud. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not that far at all. Um, so, yeah, where I come from, there, there was really very little to do or watch or see. Um, so I watched Liverpool with my friends. And I remember used to watch it on Channel 5 because they were in the Europa League at the time and that sort of thing. And I remember watching Fernando Torres and thinking, hmm, I like you and not in like I like your football way. Um, and ever since then, <laughs> ever since then, I was hooked on football. So Fernando Torres sort of really started this for me, um, and I got really involved. I used, I was obsessed with that World Cup. Um, I was really obviously excited for England, but then when Spain won it, I was excited because I liked Fernando Torres. And then um, I just was hooked. And that summer, my dad took me. My dad's a Bristol City fan. My dad took me to my first football game which I can't remember who it was again. Oh, there was Scunthorpe. It was Bristol City against Scunthorpe. And um, where my dad works, they used to have a box in the Bristol City stand. So we used to go in there. So because I think he was a bit apprehensive about taking me in the normal bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went in there and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I loved the atmosphere. I just, I thought it was fantastic. And then it sort of carried on. I was into football. I became known at my school as the girl that was obsessed with football. Bearing in mind, my school was very small. I had about, about a thousand people in my school, which for most people, they would be like, wow, there's like a thousand people in my year. Where I come from, it's really small. So um, it, there wasn't many girls that liked football. And then it got to activities week in my, I was in year eight or nine. Um, and you could pick basically what activity you wanted to do for the week. And I picked, it was called soccer clinic. Um, mm-hmm. I was the only girl to do it in the school. Uh, we went and we trained at Tottenham uh, in their dome. So that was really cool. Wow, um, nice. It was great, yeah. I, I couldn't kick a ball. Um, bear in mind, I'd never played football before. They didn't offer it at school. I didn't play it at primary school. I just, I, I had no interest up until I was 13 in playing it. So obviously I was so far behind all the boys who played it since they were tiny. I mm-hmm. I couldn't even kick the ball. But I remember there were three boys, especially, that were really supportive of me and they were helping me throughout the whole week. And by the Friday, I was scoring goals. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then after that, we went to West Brom twice. And we this was throughout my time at secondary school. I, I trained at West Brom twice. That was fun. 
but my biggest uh, achievement really was we went to Valencia. So we went and played at Valencia. We nearly almost didn't go. So there was me and another girl called Jade, who she's brilliant. Um, and she's a Tottenham fan. And we wanted to go on this school Valencia trip because you got to train at Valencia's first team training ground. You got to mm-hmm. go to a game at the Mestalla. You get to go travel around Valencia and you had a, a hotel with a pool on the roof. It was so cool. Um, and you got to explore the local area and it was fantastic. And me and Jade applied to go. And they came back and said, you're not allowed to go. It wasn't because you're girls, but because there wasn't enough for a girls team. And my dad was like, well, I'm not having that, obviously, um, mm-hmm. because you want to go and you should still be able to go even if there's no team. You should still get the experience. So my dad's wrote a very strongly worded email saying you should let them go even if they can't play the matches because they can still have the whole experience except they can just watch the matches. And I was like, that's absolutely fine. And Jade said, that's absolutely fine. Like, we want to still go. We don't care if we don't have to play the games. We still get to train at Valencia and, and stuff like that. And so... They let us go in the end and it was great it was the, probably one of the best experiences of my whole life um and then after that I went to college I still loved football I still watched it on the telly um I, I went with my dad to a couple of, of games at Ashton Gate um, my dad doesn't go to the football as much as he probably want to um I'm yeah I'm not gonna say why but sometimes I just think that he he probably would want to go more, but my dad's very much a family man. He puts everyone else before himself. So mm-hmm. he, he, I think he takes my, he'll take my brother to the cinema or do something for my mum rather than go to the football. So he's very noble like that. Um, but one day I'd like to be able to take him to more football games. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I went to college and then my friend came up to me and went, look, I've got this brochure here for a um, university and it you study football. And I was like, Okay. At the time, I, I'd just been diagnosed with um, anxiety and depression and OCD. So I wasn't mm-hmm. in the best place mentally anyway. Um, and she handed me that and I just thought, well, actually, that would be quite fun. So I didn't, I, I used to be quite academic, but then that all happened. I sort of loved, I lost my love for school and academia. And I just thought, oh, actually, the one thing that really I am passionate about is football. So why don't I study that and have a degree in it? Because I know what yeah. I'm on about. I love it. It really excites me. There's not many girls in it. And I could really show that actually there should be more girls in this sport because we know what we're on about. So I applied um, and then I, I got in and it was called UCFB Wembley, uh, University College Football Business uh, Wembley. And they now have them all over the world, which is pretty cool. But when I went, they only had them in, they just opened one in the Etihad, but it was in Burnley and uh, Wembley to begin with. And I studied football business and media. Um, So that's actually coincidentally where I met James, my partner, uh, Mm -hmm. who I now live with. And that was four and a half years ago that I met him. Um, And he is the reason that I support Birmingham City. Not because he made me change or support anything like that, but because he took me to, it was uh, Birmingham City versus Derby um, in the April um, of first year at university. And I got there and I just went, wow, mm-hmm. this is this is something different that I've never experienced before. 
and I, I'd been to um, I'd been to the Bernabeu and I'd been all over England to football games, but I went to St Andrews and I just thought, wow, and I just in, something just clicked and I just felt at home. And which part and of the ground went, did he take you to? Was it the Tilton Road stand? No, he took me to the cop because it was the only place that we could get tickets. And coincidentally, right, okay, yeah, down the side of the pitch. We have our season tickets now, yeah. So yeah, it was. It was just fantastic, and then that that summer I got my first season ticket, and I've had one ever since. I've just renewed again, um, mm-hmm. much to my bank account's dismay. Um, mm-hmm. And that is really um, my football story. It's quite long-winded um, and quite different to most people's typical. My dad, mum, granddad, grandmother supported this club, so I support this club. Mine's quite convoluted, mm-hmm. really. Um. <laughs> but it you know but it's an individual story and that's what this podcast is all about um and it's you know i'm looking forward to uh to delving into that um as we as we progress so talk to me um about your your degree um and the build-up to that i mean you mentioned that uh you weren't in a great place mentally and um it only seems fair that i that i open up but i also have depression and anxiety and, and i'm on um antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication um, at the moment um, so presumably you know clearly uh, well evidently you've already stated the, um, the, the just the type of course the course itself um, went some way to, to helping you re-establish that love for academia is that fair yeah I'd say so yeah um, it was just it was the right thing at the right time really I remember it, it gave me something to focus on um, and I remember my dad going, don't worry, not long now until you get to go. And, and it was just brilliant. I remember my dad took me down there to, um, to the, go to the open day and, and experience Wembley. And I remember him being really keen on seeing if they had the right sort of care for someone like me. And, and they did. And, and to be fair to them, they were a really good uni. They weren't as academic as I was expecting. It was a bit more proactive, um, of like self-learning rather than having a lecturer really teach you um but I suppose it's what you expect from unis these days isn't it um it's a bit more proactivity rather than actual being taught stuff so mm-hmm. it, if you look at it from that side it wasn't so bad but I actually really enjoyed the, my time there um the only thing I regret is that they didn't have a student union so we didn't get to do all the typical uni things oh um, disaster <laughs> I know I know all my friends went to other unis and they all had like special nights to do certain things and I was like oh we never had any of that um yeah, but, getting, getting absolutely yeah. wasted on pound points of first night white and black <laughs> yeah. we had one place called follies um which is now closed down but for the first year of uni it was the place to be and it was mm-hmm. brilliant and we all did tequila rose shots which has now become the cult thing um, oh, sounds sounds so, hideous yeah it was, it was good, <laughs> good. I, I very much miss it um but yeah the, the uni was really good Especially so, well, for... this was uh, this was down in Wembley, was it? It was, yeah. So it was actually in Wembley Stadium, and we had right, our lectures okay. in the boxes. So nice. we, yeah, so we had the pass into the stadium. We got to go up the lift onto floor three or four, and got to go around and, and sit in the boxes and look at the pitch every time we had a lecture. So that was insane. I remember thinking this is going to be over soon. I'm not going to be able to do this again, and that and that was quite sad. But I remember like, every time I see something on telly, my mum's always like. You went to uni there, and I'm like, I know it was great, and I really do miss it. And you can see when they show Wembley on for like the FA Cup final and stuff, you can see where 
we had um where we lived in second year and first year and and they've built everything up now and used to get to walk down and, and see Wembley Way and it used to be beautiful with the big arch and now it's all built up with high-rise flats and it's not the same but it's still mm-hmm. great and the uni the uni is really good if you're into football or into sport in general and and you want to learn more about the industry and get contacts and, and and do practical things in the industry it's a really good uni to go to even just to meet people because the amount of people that I met there that that will help me in the future if I ever decide to go down that route or or people that I've just met that I I just clicked with they understood the same things that I did about the sport and they just got the level that we were on and how much we loved it and it was just brilliant so I'd really highly recommend it if you're interested in sport and the only, <laughs> not the only reason I went but I didn't know um academically what I could do at uni I loved history but I just wasn't well enough to get a good enough grade at it so um I still got good enough grades to go to UCFB and they're probably a lot stricter than they were then now but it is mm-hmm. a really good uni yeah, yeah, it sounds. I mean, sounds like the sort of uni that I would have loved as well, and I wish I'd had the opportunity to go there. But when I went to university, Wembley wasn't even well; it literally wasn't even a thing. It had been the old yeah. one had been knocked down, and the uh, the new one wasn't built yet. Um, yeah. So, um, but the actual course itself. So, what path did you take from sort of? Because obviously, if it's anything like my my course, um, year one was quite generic. Then you you, you get to begin the specialisations in year two. And then um, year three, even further, um, and, and going down towards your dissertation. Um, so what, what sort of path did you take? As, uh, and what was the name of the course again? Just remind us. It was football, business and media. And if I'm honest, mine sort of went backwards. So the courses I was most interested in, I had in the first year. So it was all to do with the background of football and the history of football, believe it or not, and business to football. So um, the transfer markets, the workings out of things like that um uh, all the basic arithmetic to do with football um and, and that's the stuff I was really interested in when I first signed up to the course it was 75% business 25% media which I was I was absolutely buzzing for and I got there mm-hmm. and it was actually the flip because more people wanted to do media than business and I was like ah okay because I wanted to learn more about the business side than the media mm-hmm. side but it is what it is and I still enjoyed it um, and then as my course progressed, we did a lot more of the media side of things. So we um, we recorded a um, a little video, uh, did like a mock up of a football show um, for in one of the ITV studios at Wembley, which was really cool. And I did the uh, I was direct excuse me I was director of that. Um, so that was pretty fun. Um, that was in second year. Um, and then we had to learn about PR and things like that in third year. And then I did my dissertation. And so I did effectively my dissertation by myself. Um, I still did okay in it, um, not as well as I wanted to, but it was mm-hmm. out of my control and I was still pretty pleased with what I got in the end. Um, yeah. So in effect, the whole university experience for me was almost backwards in the sense that what I wanted to do and learn, I learned more in the first year, but that's just because of the way the course ended up being. We did a lot yeah. less business than what I wanted. Um, and I make it sound really bad, but I, it isn't. It's just <laughs> it's, I, the <laughs> stuff I enjoyed the most was in the first year. And yeah, I still yeah. enjoyed it in the second year, but my forte was the stuff we did in the first year. And that was right. the year I unfortunately did the best in. I still did well in the second and third year, but the first year, obviously, because it was the stuff I enjoyed the most, I got firsts every single time. Yeah, so, sure. And unfortunately, they don't count. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, of course. Uh, but what was the uh, the title of, of your dissertation? Are you prepared to let us know? Yes, yeah, so I have to really wrap my brain to remember the exact title, but I think it was basically something to do with um, mental health and elite footballers and how and what support there is out there for them. So, right, okay. Um, in effect, so I spoke to a couple of professional footballers. Um, that was really hard to find people. And there was one footballer who contacted me, thank goodness, a legend that he is. I'm not going to say his name because obviously I can't because it's confidential. But he was oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And um, he, he contacted me and, and he put me in touch with someone else. And then I had a couple of others that I did. And just them being so candid and open to me about their experiences. Um, mm-hmm. It was just really nice to to hear people just talk about mental health and and I was hoping that um, I was hoping I'd have a bit more support for my dissertation lecture because I thought that you know it could have been a really good paper if I'd had that sort of background support but from the the answers that I had from the footballers there obviously isn't enough in their system to support them or there wasn't at the time because it was a couple of years ago now like two years ago yeah um and uh, hopefully with even with those footballers hopefully I got the conversation going about mental health and you know they are they spoke to people about it and, uh, and and I was hoping that the paper would would be able to be like a starting point for well these footballers have said there isn't enough or there is enough help um and, and where to find it uh, but it hasn't worked out that way <laughs> no sure but uh, I, I I don't know if you subscribe to it but I I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up another podcast here under the cast I know it's a very heavily um, uh, subscribed um, podcast. Uh, there's Patreon and everything with it. And it's run by uh, Don Parkin uh, and Chris Brown, the footballer, and Chris Brown, the comedian. Um, but they've had um, probably about 150 episodes now with, with footballers. Um, and there's so many people uh, who, um, so many of the players at all levels who struggle with the mental health issues, uh, particularly, yeah. you know, going back, the older players, um, they um they didn't necessarily have the um have the support uh the uh um the culture back then was um um well very very different to what it is now uh, yeah. almost a culture of a culture of bullying uh, and survival of the fittest yeah. um and yeah it, it, they go into a lot of that and it's uh, it's very interesting to listen to individual stories and the mental health stories that, that, that footballers have because as a footballer, historically, you've been expected to, to well, well, as, as we know, not even necessarily with footballers, but if you, if you have a wealthy lifestyle, if you have a, um, a comfortable lifestyle, how on earth can you be um, mentally ill? You know, you have everything that you want, but that just isn't the case. Um, so, you know, and to say with footballers, it's very much that and more. So um, it is good to see over the last few years, the steps that the um, the EFL, the Premier League, the FA have been taking. Um, but the impression that I still get is that more could be done um, across uh, across all individual football clubs and the organisations as a, as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that is still... I mean, I remember when I first got diagnosed, oh God, I'm 24 now, I was 15, so nine years ago, um, and I didn't know anything about any of my illnesses, and that was 10 years ago. Um, 10 years on, a lot of people understand more now about depression and anxiety. It's still not OCD. OCD is still a barrier for people to get over. It's not just washing your hands. Um, But I think the conversations that people are having now, it is all moving in the right direction with mental health. 
Um, but there's still something there that it's just like you can't talk to some people about it because they just back you off and say, oh, it's just pull your socks up and get on with it and you just need to battle through. And it's like, well, hang on, actually, I physically can't. Like, and I think footballers, they almost struggle more to express that because they're put on this pedestal that they need to be living this certain lifestyle um, or they're not really a footballer, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they almost feel like they can't be vulnerable or can't say how they feel because then they aren't living up to that expectation. And actually, I think it should be the other way around. I don't think there should be any expectation from footballers. Yes, they earn a lot of money. And whether I agree or not with what money is in the game is a different story. But it's not necessarily their fault what they get paid. So whether the money is there or not, it's not the question because underneath it all, we still bleed the same. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. No, I completely agree. Um, I'm just uh, thinking off the top of my head, actually, as, as you were talking, because it's not just about the players uh, and the coaching staff. Um, some of the people who receive some of the most vociferous and um, painstaking ab- abuse are the match officials. Um, yeah. And they never get spoken about, do they? No, they don't. I think that that is actually something that everyone sort of, even myself, does ignore. I think it's almost something that it's been so part and parcel of the game that you just abuse the official or people um, shout abuse at, at them. That It's almost become part of the game. And actually, it's kind of sad because at the end of the day, they're only doing their job. And whether you agree or not is so objective that actually words do hurt. I can tell you firsthand, words do hurt and words do affect people's mental health. So actually, whether they hear you or not, I don't think you should be shouting the extreme abuse. You hear a lot of extreme abuse. And I think that's where the line gets crossed. I think you, you like with a footballer, if they get foul, you can go, oh, you in more expletive terms than this, I'm sure it is said like this, but, um, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, or that is mm-hmm. a foul, blah, blah, blah. But when You, you can get swear to... on here, by the way, just, just in case okay, you're, that's you're holding back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I could, I could, I really could. Um, I'm trying to be polite in case my mum listens. Um, but... Uh, right, yeah, got you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, mum. <laughs> Hi, mum. Um, but, but I think a lot of people do go down the route of, in effect, people wish death upon them and and stuff like that which is so extreme it's so it doesn't make any sense to me because at the end of the day they're just doing their job and i'm certainly not coming at this from um from any degree of um sort of sainthood as it were um in fact many people who listen to this um there may be friends who sat with me at games i can you know i can certainly tell uh, many people I was not a saint when it came to abusing players abusing referees uh, and sometimes that that abuse did go too far um, and you know I certainly wouldn't do it now certainly knowing having had the experiences I've had with you know with with uh, with officials um, sometimes they get it wrong and it's annoying it really is annoying and you're spitting feathers but you know I really do try to to, to, to hold back certainly on the abuse side of things um, because, yeah, it's uh, it's not a pleasant place to be in. And if you're sat there in front of, you know, at Reading, it would be like 15,000 and, you know, United, it's like 75,000 people. 
uh, or not sat there, but you're you're in the middle of the pitch and you've got all these people screaming at you. It's got to be such a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, absolutely. But talk to so you, I mean, you mentioned um, that you met your fella uh, that you're living with now. Clearly, yeah. you had a very strong relationship from the very start. You were living with with him and his parents. You've mentioned already that you're traveling from Birmingham down to um, down to London for the courses. Um, and um, well, presumably he he took you. Well, you I say not presumably. You've already said he took you to your first Blues game. Um, so um, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. So well, we we've been together nearly four and a half years now. Um, we met at uni and, and we'd been together a couple of weeks and I said to him, oh, can we go to a Blues game? And he was like, yeah, okay. Um, he, he's got a big Birmingham City tattoo on his arm. And, <laughs> and I remember the first time I saw him, I thought, why have you, why have you got a big football tattoo? <laughs> because where I come from, it was so not to do. Um, but now I'm more involved in it. I think that's so cool. Like, I love it. Um, but yeah, so we went and... I remember he, he, he took me, we went and we went to the city first and he took me around Birmingham and I'd only ever been once before. I think it was to see Tweenies live when I was three. So um, that was a very long time ago. And we walked around the city and, and we walked all the way to the ground and we went up and it was a blistering hot day and we were sat at the back and I remember just hearing the music and hearing Mr Blue Sky and watching the players come out onto the pitch and, and I took a photo and yeah, I was, I was laughing because my dad's a Bristol City fan. I was like, oh, I'm not the wrong one, you know, and he was like, ha ha. Um, but then instantly I was like, no, this is where I want to be. I, I don't want to, no offence to my dad, but I don't want to go back with him to the game again to watch <laughs> Bristol City play because I just felt so at home. Like something just clicked that never, I'd never felt before. And I just felt like I belonged mm-hmm. um, and that I just wanted to watch this team all the time I wanted to be in this stadium all the time with these fans all the time um and it just was it was so I can't explain how surreal it was to me in that moment that it everything just almost made footballing sense to me yes um, and, yeah. and I'm not gonna lie because I come from an area where you know my dad was a Bristol City fan and I went to a couple of games with him and I obviously you know I had a Bristol City shirt you know I had at the start but I never really felt like I fitted in or belonged and until I went to, to Blues. And, and I was like, look, guys, I'm, my story's different to everyone else. I'm not your typical football fan. Um, and I feel like I belong here. I'm not going to switch and support another team because this is this is my team. I, yeah. I, I live here. This is, this is I, I breathe Blues. And you feel took, like that you were just immediately embraced by, by everything. Yeah. Um, you know, walking Absolutely. up that that hill from the roundabout, presumably, and going in yeah. and through the turnstiles, that big main entrance of the uh, um, of the cop, um, sweeping round to the Tilton Road stand, and you've got the uh, is it the Gilmeric end, the Gilmeric end as well, the railway end, um, yeah, the away end, yeah. yeah. I I can understand why people um, people like that kind of thing um, and, and and get that. Uh, it was a little bit different with me, but. Uh, my my footballing experiences are uh, uh, from from much younger and with Elm Park and like you I didn't like football uh, and that's a recurring theme as a as a child yeah. a, across everybody in this podcast really is they didn't like football they were just dragged along with their dad or their mum or whatever um, and suddenly you know got built a uh, built an affinity for the club that they were at but when you're older um, 
you know you you're, you're more in tune with with what's going on around you aren't you um and clearly uh, whether it would be the people or just the atmosphere or the club and, you know, people were talking, you know, people talking to you or whatever. There was an embracing there, wasn't it? It sounds like there was a, uh, it's just like a big, a big hearty Birmingham City cuddle. Yeah, it was. And it was, uh, I'm not going to lie, there have been some people that haven't really understood and, you know, a bit mean to me about it. But at the end of the day, I've, I've, what I've, I've accepted is people that a lot of people that come from footballing backgrounds will never have a story like mine. They'll always have grown up supporting a team that their parents, grandparents support. Because I come from the middle of nowhere and I didn't have a team really up until the age of 20. I didn't really have a team. I didn't belong anywhere. I was a bit of a, I, I, I liked watching everyone, but I didn't have a team until I went to Birmingham City and that was it. I was, I was hooked in. And mm-hmm. I am so passionate about it. I would absolutely die for the club. Um, and it it was just incredible. A lot of people were really supportive. Like, as soon as I explained my background, a lot of people were like, look, we get it. You are more than welcome. And I was like, thank you. Some people didn't. Um, and some people probably still don't. Uh, and a lot of people think, oh, I support them because of James. Well, actually he didn't ask me to to support blues he didn't make me i as soon as i got there i went this is it this is this is for me mm-hmm. and god forbid anything would ever happen but i would I, i'm blues to the day i die that is it so obviously you know we, we touched on when you know you first started going and since then it's been you know um i can imagine there have been times where you've been wondering why did this club choose me uh given you know in that time um you haven't finished any higher than 17 um which i can imagine was a uh, it, well it's, it must have been a bit of a bind at times um do you know what I, i'm probably like the worst football fan ever i actually don't mind that much i think from, like a, from a footballing perspective because I've, i i grew up with no football to be blessed to go to the game week in, week out, for me is enough. Um, because I didn't have it and I wanted it for so long. And now I've got it. Um, it's just like, wow, actually, I-, I can go and watch my team week in, week out. This is insane. And don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Obviously, I want them to, to do well and do better. But I'm just grateful to be able to even go. Um, and But when I watch them and when I see what they can do, which it, they can play, and they should be finishing at least 14th. And they should have finished at least 14th for most of the last four, five seasons. Um, and they don't. That's when it's a bit frustrating, because it's like, hang on, we know we've got the players, we know we've got the team. The manager is neither here nor there, but we always have the same similar group of players that actually aren't that bad. And when they get going, they're pretty decent. Why are we not hitting those th- those benchmark levels so to speak that's when yeah. it's a bit frustrating yes yes i can imagine um but have there been any sort of particular days that the way you've thought um actually yeah yeah or any any memorable days shall we say oh good or bad <laughs> either <laughs> this, so, this podcast is, is at, at, at um uh delving into the range of emotions that football supporters experience 
<laughs> so um the coldest one i can tell you that 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 sticks in my mind pretty strong was blackburn away we just got our new car the day before and we'd driven all the way up from birmingham to blackburn um i think it was the 15th of december i, I can't remember the i think it's 2018 2019 i think it's 2018 and uh, it was so cold all us fans we were literally we didn't even know each other half of us we were all huddling together it was that cold uh, I remember Craig Gardner came on and he scored two goals that game and I blooming love Craig Gardner uh, more than I should um uh, so that was that sticks out in my memory but that also sticks out in my memory is my first Millwall away game um <laughs> the game yeah yeah exactly my mum my mum my very posh mum was like oh, Emily don't go to that you'll get hurt I don't want you to get hurt something will happen I was like no mum it'll be fine me being me, just going, no, nah, it'll be all right. I won't get myself in any trouble. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty good girl. I'll just stay out of any trouble. Well, I, I tried my best, but I didn't even start anything. Nothing happened. Next thing I know, we've come out of the game. We're all penned in. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to Millwall before. It was on a Wednesday evening. It was all dark. And um, we, we'd heard that there were Millwall fans waiting for us on the rat run. And they were ready to throw stuff at us. And, and I was like, okay, fine, whatever. We'll wait. They'll disperse them. Nope, next thing I know, police horses come charging through, us fans, bearing in mind we're all penned in. We are like we're all shoulder to shoulder. I get lifted by my mate who's come with us. He's lifted me out of the way of the police horses. And James and his brother just get knocked over by the police horses and they've come charging through. And I'm there screaming because I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? I've never experienced anything like this before. This was my first season going to away games as well. So I was so confused. I had no idea what to expect. Um, and then I remember crying to the police, like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> but then I went again the next year and I, I was tough and I, I knew what to expect and everything was okay. And then I was shouting at the, at the home fans and, you know, I was really into it then and that was okay. But the first time I went, because I didn't know what to expect and I'd never experienced anything like that before. Me coming from a small town in the middle of nowhere had never experienced anything on that level. But it was one of my favourite memories looking back on it because it's just so funny i was so innocent and i was so like oh my god why is this happening but actually it's all rough and tumble it's all a bit of fun and um I'm, my mum goes to me oh emily please don't go back there and i, I remember telling her mum i've got my mill tickets and she was like oh for goodness sake and then i went back again and she was like i give up i give up <laughs> but, i was gonna, um, gonna ask if you yeah. told mum about that yeah yeah she um she's um not given up, so to speak, but she sort of accepted that I'm going to go to any game um, at all, and uh, I I'm okay. I'm look, well looked after. The, the, to be honest, when I go, I think a lot of people know me now, and and I'm I'm well looked after. Um, there's some people, some of the men will look after me because um, mm. I'm I'm quite I'm five foot seven, so I'm not exactly short, but um, I'm quite innocent, and and I'm I'm still not necessarily used to all the fighting and everything that goes on at football games. And because um, I'm quite an anxious person anyway, I get looked after quite well. They're very good to me. Mm-hmm. That's good <laughs> to hear. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> there isn't anything really, uh, anything more that could tough you, toughen you up as a blue supporter than going to Millwall because there are <laughs> no. absolutely no love lost between those two teams whatsoever. Um, presumably you failed with the, um, the stories of the playoffs in 2002. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. I know. I've been. I've been told many a story 
Um, James's dad has been a blue nose for his whole life, and, and I think his dad before him and his whole family are blues. And, and that when I first came into the family, they sat me down and told me all the stories. And if I tell you now, our whole flat is plastered with blues memorabilia. Would you believe me? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, it's, it's it's good to hear that you do feel looked after though, um, and and well, safe in a. Yeah. Um, in, in an environment like that I think it's that's the thing isn't it I think um obviously growing up my parents were probably quite scared of me going to games because obviously I am quite a from the outside looking in I do look quite sweet and innocent and I wouldn't hurt a fly and I wouldn't I can't say boo to a goose I can't fight anyone I can't speak to anyone angrily I just can't do it it's just not I'm quite timid actually believe it or not um so it, for me to go to a football game and actually be quite outspoken sometimes you know with my team going and celebrating is is almost quite unlike me but when I I think my parents were obviously a bit worried when I first started to go to football that it was going to be a bit rough and tumble obviously you hear about te- some certain teams and they're like they're quite aggressive and stuff but actually blues are the complete opposite um may look a bit scary from the outside but actually they really look after each other and I've never felt like a family like it. Like, I don't necessarily know anyone's name that's next to me. But if I were to be in trouble or get hurt or something, they'd look after you. It doesn't matter who you are or whether they know you or not. You're one big family and I don't know anything like it. So um, you say that it's uh, as clearly um, when it's not one big family um, and... Um, you know, your, your timidity and anxiety um, uh, sort of kicks in at some point. Um, presumably, that's been affected by some of the sexism, if not all of the sexism that you that you've received, and that's why you were very keen to get involved with her game too. Um, is that a fair su- summary, a su- summarization? Yeah, I'd say so. I think. For me, it's not necessarily been, it's not necessarily ever come from my my own team's fans. It's normally come from either other teams or growing up. So growing up, it was always the question of why do you like football? You're a girl. Or the exact opposite of my dad going, um, there's not many women in sport, Emily. Show them what you can do. And I always thought, well, there's never enough women in sport or there's never enough of, of the right thing going on. There's always something going on that, you know, we should be getting involved in to make stuff better. Like Alex Scott's now the presenter of Football Focus. That's a brilliant mm-hmm. step in the right direction. But I think I always mentally come from a place of, of when I went and applied for the Valencia trip and they said no. And I always, footbally, football, that's not even a word, but footballingly, I always come back to that point in my mind of being rejected because I was a girl. Yes, and yes, I that's one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about, so I'm glad you brought that up again. Yeah, I know there was a bit more to it than that, but in effect, it was because I was a girl. And I will always come back to that point in my mind of proving people wrong and saying, no, I can do that. It doesn't matter if I'm a girl or a boy or whatever. It doesn't matter. None of that should matter because actually I know just as much as you, probably more. <laughs> and, um, 
and, and why should why should my gender stop me? And I, I've never experienced it to the extreme that other people have. I've had I have had comments, but it was more growing up around people that don't understand the game as much. But that spurred me on. And like I've said before, if I had a daughter and I went back to where I grew up and she had those comments, I wouldn't want her to have those comments. Mm-hmm. Because it made me think, am I weird? Should I not like football? But actually, I thrived on the fact that I loved football and not many other people liked football. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And I wasn't going to let anyone stop me. And I just see, I just look in the future and think, if I had a daughter, I wouldn't want her to ever be stopped for anything. I'd want her to love what she loves. And if it's football, I'd never want anyone to stop her from being able to love it. The the lack of opportunity for girls to play football at school um, is one of the biggest factors I'm finding. Um, when, a, when a girl does want to play football, uh, they are, like, like you, um, I suppose, whether it's um, deliberate or whether it's inadvertent, um, there is a discouragement or has been a discouragement in the past, and that needs to change um, because women footballers, uh, women, women who want to play, women who want to learn about the game, girls who want to learn about the game and play, um, they have every right to, to be able to play that, and they need to be... Um, uh, for one of a better word, embraced in, into that uh, that kind of sporting culture, um, because how many girls have um, have have been dissuaded from playing football by by comments or by decisions taken by people who should know better, um, and how much talent has been lost um, to the game, um, and how much um, yeah, and how much has been you know, how much support has been lost as a result of that. Um, we simply there's, there's no way to really quantify that. Um, but you can guarantee you bet your bottom dollar that uh, that people have been dissuaded and they've not returned to the game, and that's very very sad in in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a another sort of not a string to my bow because that makes me sound a bit 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 big headed. But uh, my school didn't have a girls' football team, uh, and I asked. I, they were very good. I went up to them, and went, "Look, can we start a girls' football team? I want to play football. We don't have one." And they said, "Yeah." And they got someone in from Gloucestershire University to coach us. So it wasn't like they were stopping us from, from actually from playing football. I just don't think they'd taken the initiative to start it because it wasn't the no, exactly. thing yeah. 10 years ago. So actually, and now they've got, the school's gone on to win county championships and things like that, as far as I'm aware. So actually, my school were pretty good. Once once we got the ball rolling and had the conversation started, they were really good. And once I'd left, they they kicked on. They've, they've done even better and... And there was a, um, a sports teacher there called Mr. Price, who he was brilliant and really supportive of, of me and, and my love of football. And and I don't know if he'll, he'll ever recognise me again, probably won't. But, you know, he really did help me and, and encourage me with my love for football. And I was terrible mm-hmm. at sports. I couldn't play football for my life. And the only one I was sort of good at was netball. But to him, it didn't matter because... I loved it and he could see that I loved it and he didn't yeah. dissuade me at all. He actually was like, yeah, what do you want? How do we get it? Let's get it done. And yeah, no, then, absolutely. Yeah, That's where I was really coming it. from with the, uh, with the dissuasion. It wasn't necessarily that, no, you can't start a, a girls' football team. Absolute kudos to the school for actually starting that and for you yeah. for having the balls to actually go up and say, I want to play football. The dissuasion comes from, you know, without that, um, that lack of foresight or that lack of um, yeah. 
uh, initiative um, uh, to do that and with the decisions that are taken. Um, so uh, I think we uh, we do need to give the school a shout out. Have you given the teacher a shout out, Mr. Price? Big thumbs up yeah. to you, mate. Um, what what school was it? So I went to Thomas Peeble School in a little town called Eastcombe, uh, which is on top of a hill in mm-hmm. the Stroud Valley, um, not too far from where I where I live um, yeah. or lived. Um, but it was a, a really a really good school at the time, and um, I really enjoyed my time there. And and they were really supportive, actually. Um, and everything to do with me and football, they were really supportive of. So actually fair play to the whole school actually because if it wasn't for them I wouldn't have had the amazing experiences of of going to train at West Brom twice training at Mm -hmm. at Tottenham going to Valencia playing my first professional in a you know inverted commas football game um you know all those experiences that I haven't actually had since because I haven't had the opportunity to um and actually I probably wouldn't have the confidence now but the school gave me the confidence to do those things Mm -hmm. so fair play to them yeah, absolutely. I, I quite agree. Um, so mo- moving on, and you know, clearly you feature in the original Her Game 2 video. Um, you have received um, direct um, sexist comments in the past, clearly, um, as is noted down. Um, give us the story, if you're willing to, about, about that particular um, comment that you received. Um, and um, any more, really, uh, just highlight the, the extent of the issue that you've had. So I think the comments we all we all sort of discussed it as a, as a group really, and they were the like the key comments that we've all been told. Um, my one I've heard and I've had said to me, I think that was like the first thing. It was it was almost paraphrased, but I remember when that was sort of said, I was like, yeah, I've had that to me. Um, it was when I first sort of liked football really, and and it was from people quite close to me, and and I just thought screw you you know what I mean like I don't care mm-hmm. I I'm I'm a girl but I know what I'm on about and I've always taken pride in that actually that I'm a girl that knows what I'm on about I think I've always been one of those girls that you know when the Yorkie used to say just for men I used to be like that girl that would go I'm gonna have a Yorkie because <laughs> why not um, I was, I'm always that sort of I'll go against the grain because not because it's edgy but because I want to prove to you that actually I can do it as well um but so yeah, the main one that you always hear, which I think is a bit lazy, is get back to the kitchen. Um, I yeah. can't cook. I can only cook pasta, and I don't think many people would want my pasta either. So I think it's almost a bit offensive to them that if they say to me, "Get back to the kitchen," because I'll make you some terrible food. But that one just doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't doesn't it doesn't offend me. I just think you're offending yourself because I can't cook. Um, but mm-hmm. I know like a lot of people obviously that is quite that's very back in time like 1950s housewife comment like come on at least if you're gonna try and be offensive modernize it a bit um because that that just sort of riles me up a bit i just think come on it's laziness i think that's what sexism really is it's just laziness Mm -hmm. it's not trying to really understand why girls like sport well girls like sport because sport is there to be liked it, it's not a gender thing sport and, and hobbies and and interests are never a gender thing really they're just they've just been stereotyped so all these sexist comments they don't make any sense to me because I just think well why can't why is it a problem but mm-hmm. then obviously people have grown up 
I think again, again, I think my background almost takes me out of the question a little bit. I can see it from a different angle because for me, I've always just been like, I don't care that I'm a girl. I'm going to like what I want to like. But I didn't go when I was younger when it was predominantly men going to the game and there was very few girls. I didn't have that experience. I've gone in to the game where there there is a lot of girls and, and compared to compared to obviously what there was when when my other girls started going. So, I, for me, I get the comments. Like I, I get that they're said to me and they're hurtful. But I, again, take it from the standpoint of it's ill education, it's laziness. They, they're just saying it because some people feel intimidated by girls because girls sometimes know a lot more than most of boys. But it should never be like that. I don't feel like, I feel like it probably in hopefully 10, 20 years time. I know that's a long time, but I feel like it in the last 10 years, I've watched a lot of progress be made um, in the game. So hopefully this won't be a thing when I have a daughter. Mm-hmm. But, or if I have a daughter, you never know. You can't pick mm-hmm. and choose. But um, hopefully this won't be a thing. But I know that the comments are really, they can be really hurtful and they're not nice, but they're just not needed. No, absolutely. And, you know, you see um, the progress, you mentioned the progress that's been made with um, a lot of the women's Super League players who are now um, coming to the end of their career, their, their playing careers and moving into the media. You're talking, you know, players like uh, Karen Carney, for example, um, and um, Alex Scott. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the strides that those, that those players are now making and, and, and commentating on, on the men's game. Um, and not only that, um, it's good to see that Sky Sports are now starting to um, to feature um, uh, reporters at some of the um, at the moment is some of the bigger women's games. I know they had one at the North London Derby a few uh, few weeks ago. Um, uh, so you know, and you're seeing more and more women uh, women involved who haven't actually been involved in the playing side of the game, um, whose whose opinions are certainly up there. Uh, the reporters' opinions are certainly up there with the um, you know, with the likes of you know Jeff Stelling um, and Alan McAnally um, and 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 people like that, so I'm, I'm thinking um, Michelle Owen, yeah, um, and um, of course uh, Bianca Westwood, um, who's been around for for quite a few years, um, and and a number of other uh, Abigail Davis, um, and you know, and say you've got the women that have been that have been around for quite a few years, and you know, breaking ground in terms of uh, commentary as well. So, you know, that's the progress the game is making. Um, and, you know, that's the way the game needs to go to be, to be you know, more inclusive and encourage women to actually not just like the sport, but get involved. Um, and it's, yeah. it, to me, it, it's just, a, it's only a good thing. I would like to see more coverage of the Women's Super League, if I'm honest. I know it's on the red button on BBC, um, which is good. It's free to air. Um, but yes, I would like to see more, um, you know, more, more money actually uh, driven into the game as well. Um, to um, to just to, to to raise the profile, um, and you know over the, over you know longer term, you know raise the standard um, as well. Uh, not that it's a poor standard. That's not me saying. That's not you know not me being patronising in any way. Um, you know it is. It has come a, you know come leaps and bounds over the last few years. Um, you know certainly we have a number of uh, top end Premier League clubs who are doing absolute wonders for uh, for the women's game in terms of. You know Manchester City and Chelsea and what they're doing. Um, uh, it's, uh, Bristol City as well. They're, they're another another club that do that are doing wonders. 
Um, but I'd like to see uh, to see clubs actually play within the confines of their own um, you know, their own stadium rather than um, the, the smaller sort of development stadium alongside. Um, or of course, in the case of Reading, a lot of the a lot of the women's uh, team they played at Wickham for a, for a long time, um, which is you know we got decent crowds, but it's not Reading. You know, it's Wickham. It's twenty miles yeah. down the road. So yeah, I'd like exactly. to see that as well, but um, you know the progress that's being made is uh, is, is exceptional. Um, just a quick um, opinion: um, you'll no doubt be aware of what happened with Norwich City earlier this week um, and BK8. Um, obviously, uh, well, not necessarily obvious to everybody, but today they actually terminated that agreement with them, which was uh, which was pleasing to see. Um, there's now um, a potential opportunity there for. Um, well, there's an empty space on the shirt. Um, uh, so do you think it would be worth uh, her going to as while sort of um, making their presence known to Norwich City and maybe uh, maybe being able to get their, their presence on the shirt? I think it'd be brilliant if we definitely could. Um, I think the only thing that doesn't play in our favour is that we're 12 young girls that don't have a lot of disposable income. So we wouldn't be able to offer them anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, no, 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 absolutely. So it, would, yep. it would just have to be from from their standpoint a goodwill gesture really um and obviously they they want sponsors for money um but you know what if they did or even had us you know in a tiny area of the shirt you know that would just say so much that actually there's a a premier league side that's that's behind us all the way that actually really cares about our cause um i'm gonna say it my team haven't even said anything about the campaign um most of the girls teams have my team hasn't which was a bit disheartening um but i'm sure they will going forward uh hopefully anyway um so i think if they did say or have us on the shirt that would be exceptional and you know what that would say to the whole of the premier league and all the leagues below actually we're listening to what you're saying we're listening to your campaign we're doing our bit to help and we are getting your cause out there. And that will be on, that will be broadcast worldwide every week because if they're playing all the top teams, you know, week in, week out, it's going to be broadcast internationally. Her game two is going to be out there internationally. We can help mm-hmm. girls around the world. And that's, that is, if, if they did that, that's how big this could be. Yeah. They clearly saw sense with what happened with BK8, they didn't do their due diligence. But, you know, when yeah. you make a mistake, it's, uh, you know, it, your response to that mistake is what really what really makes the organisation, in my opinion. Yeah, Absolutely. it shouldn't have got to that point in the first place, but they did the right thing um, in, uh, in terminating that agreement. So, you know, um, a round of applause for Norwich City for that, um, because, you know, having, to all intents and purposes, um, uh, soft pornography to... Uh, <laughs> To, to, to promote a, a betting company was uh, was not the way to go, and uh, you know Norwich they're a, they're a very very inclusive club as well. They they've supported a lot of good causes um, in the past. It was disappointing to see them do that, as I say, but um, it didn't sit well with with their fan base. It didn't sit well with the club clearly, um, and they've done the right thing. Um, so, right, so um, moving swiftly on um, and. Hopefully, this will induce some happier memories of the last four years. Uh, as we've mentioned, it's not been the best four years for Blues fans, uh, but significant six. So, um, 
my favorite part of the show, I think. So, um, your favorite game that you've been to? That's such a tough one. I've got a couple. I think that first Millwall Away game is up there, you know, looking back on Mm -hmm. it. Um, And then the same season, Fulham at home when we stayed up on the last day of the season. That was was exceptional. Yeah, that was was unreal, that game. Um, I'm really struggling to pick a favourite because I think, because I felt... I've been so blessed the last four years with with amazing games that I think no I think I'm going to go with that Fulham game where we won three three one I think yeah because I yes. ended up in four four two magazine that day so that was quite cool. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. What was that? Was that uh, just inadvertent or was that uh, wholly planned? It was inadvertent because I had bright pink hair at the time um, and my friend sent me a photo <laughs> saying, "Oh, you're in four four two. I was like, "Am I? Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the things we do as students. I had green hair once. So um, the um, so you won the game 3-1. Um, it, it maintained your uh, championship status, didn't it? Fulham were in the playoffs yeah. at the time, weren't they? Were they yeah. going for automatic promotion on that day as well? I can't quite I remember just, the exact scenario. but um, I'm feeling like they were going to, and they didn't, Yes, I think. yeah. Yeah, I think they, they ended yeah. up getting promoted, I think, at the end of it. Um, yeah. In the, uh, in the final, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, I think so. I can't really, if I'm honest, I was such a blur that day. I was just happy that we were staying up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so you've been to, been to a few away grounds. Um, what's your favourite? Rotherham, every single time. Okay, I that was it. unexpected. <laughs> Go on, tell us what. <laughs> So the first ever away game with James I went to was Rotherham, believe it or not. Um, right, okay. And it was, I don't, I don't know why I like it so much. I just thought it was brilliant. I think it's probably because it was the first one I went to. And every time we go there, we either, like, we have a good game and draw or we absolutely annihilate them. But the last time we went, it was just unreal. Like, players were throwing their shirts into the crowd and, and, it kept us up again, I think, or kept it got us safer to, to staying up, and mm-hmm. it was just brilliant. And every time we go to Rotherham, it's really good fun, and I just really it's my favourite. And I was gutted that they went down because we don't get to go there next season. They are the archetypal yo-yo club at the moment, aren't they? They've they been are. up and down. Yeah, they've um, they've been up and down um, quite a few times. Um, they just can't seem to get that extra win that they need to stay up, uh, do they? Um, I've been to the New York yeah. Stadium. I do quite like it. Um, I, I think eventually they would have left Millmore anyway. Um, but of course, Mil- the way that it all happened was very, very sad. Um, but they've got a, a really good stadium that suits them down to the ground now. And what I really like about it is the really steep banking to it. Uh, you, you get, you yeah. know, you can create a bit of a you can create a bit of a din in there as well, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. So it's almost like. And one of the proper old school grounds that's not old school, if that makes sense. Yeah, right in the well, pretty much right in the middle of the town, virtually. It's about yeah. 10 minutes walk from the town centre where all the pubs and bars are. So, it's yeah, it's a, I love it. it is good, uh, it is a good ground to go to. Um, you're okay, <laughs> this might be slightly <laughs> difficult to answer, but it might be very easy, surprisingly. Um, but your favorite season, I think it has to be the season where Gary Monk was in charge. I think it's just because it was the most stable season. I've seen. So, which season was that? Uh, 1819. 
<laughs> okay, okay. So, and, and, and what, tell us why um, that's that's the favourite. Eighteen nineteen, my favourite. Monk was just brilliant. Um, everything was stable. We knew what we were going to get. I, I think we just really enjoyed actually having some decent football. Um, and there was never going to be, there was never really those games where you just thought, oh, it's over before it's begun. We always were going to give it a go. I think we all re- we got on with Monk really well. Like the fans got on with him really well uh, at the time, uh, and he seemed a nice enough guy, and he seemed really invested in the club. And I think it just brought a bit of stability. Bear in mind, the CEO uh, over the last however many years has, has probably been the biggest reason we've been unstable. But he was still there at the time, and and we we were just rocking a bit. And he uh, Monk sort of brought a bit of stability. Um, and the football was half decent, and we finished half decently, even though we had the points deduction. So, yeah, it was. I think we all enjoyed that season quite a lot. And the ones after that haven't been as stable. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's my favourite one. Yeah, and just you finished the season strongly, if I remember rightly, because you, 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 you ended up playing us on the last day of the season, nil-nil uh, draw. Um, but yeah, you, around yes. that time that you had the points deduction, the um, the form just completely dipped, didn't it? But then suddenly um, you you played, if I remember rightly, uh, you played against Leeds and uh, Leeds fans were, aren't exactly enamoured with Gary Monk the way that he left at the end of 2017 season. Yeah. Um, got the win and then remained unbeaten to the end of the season, if I remember rightly. Yes, I think you're right, actually. I remember that nil-nil away game because I was up front row and I was like, this is so boring. And I think, was I, am I right in saying, John O'Shea did a, came on and it, and it was his last game or that's absolutely something. right yes yeah, yeah. I remember thinking what is going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he came on for the last 15 20 minutes or so I think yeah because um, yeah, we had our uh, we had our Portugal day as well that that, that day um, in uh, in honor of our manager then Jose Gomez who'd oh, yeah. um, galvanized the club uh, the club was going absolutely nowhere under Paul Clement and previously under Stam. Um, and he came in and he just got, you know, his, his infectious personality, he got the fans all on side. And, you know, we weren't fantastic. Um, you know, we ended up finishing um, in and around Birmingham. Um, but it was only sort of three or four games from the end of the season before we ended up safe from relegation. Um, yeah. We, uh, yeah, that was, it was a nil-nil draw. It wasn't a great, a great game, but uh, yeah, um, you know, it was a, a good solid end to the season for both clubs. I think um, that's a memorable season in my uh, in my book as well. It's a good uh, one. Um, so, your favourite ever away day? Oh, I think it has to. Oh, I don't know actually. I quite right. I quite liked not for the game. But for afterwards, um, Sunderland away was pretty good because we went on a night out in Newcastle and I'd never been that far north before. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty good. But I think, again, it has to be Rotherham because it was when, I think it was the season before last and all, all the seasons before that. I can't remember, but Jack McGowan was playing um, and we stayed up and it was brilliant and everyone was screaming and someone I know ran on the pitch it was a couple. We were in our yellow strip, and um, it was just the best, best game ever. It was so good. It was really blistering hot. We were all buzzing, singing, 
and it was just brilliant and i can i can vividly remember it in my mind um and the noise was incredible and we just kept scoring and it was just ace it was so good so that was my favorite ever away day i think mm-hmm. was that in um 1819 yes i think it was that season as well yeah, yeah. Oh, good choice okay um your favorite current blues player Luke Sukovic, every single time. Okay. <laughs> Tell us why. Everybody loves a goal um, scorer, but this man's a bruiser, yeah. isn't he? He's a proper old school number nine. Oh, he's brilliant. Um, I, I, a little bit inappropriate, but I think he's quite nice. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's one part. But also, um, I met him once. Um, the, the club very nicely organised me to go meet him because obviously... When I was growing up, I'd never really met any players or anything like that. Um, and I really wanted to meet him. And I wanted to meet him and Craig Gardner, but I never met Craig. Um, because, obviously, I, I really liked watching Duke play. And, and he was obviously, like, uh, just watching him play. I love his style of play. Um, and I just think that he's so solid. And you know what you're going to get from him. And he's so trustworthy. And he's a great person for the club. Like, he just, everything he does is brilliant. Um, and I met him and I was like, this is really awkward because I'm like 21, but I have anxiety and I wanted to meet the players after a game and I was just too anxious to, and he was mm-hmm. like, look, I get it. Um, I understand, but you've done really well. And I was like, thanks. So he <laughs> was really nice to me. Um, mm-hmm. and I've, I, 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 that's always resonated with me that actually like I, I said that to him, and I was like, "I'm going out on a limb here. I, I feel a bit silly, but you know." And he was really supportive and really kind to me, and we had a photo, and and that was that was really important to me. Um, yeah. That I managed to, you know, actually meet a footballer and speak, have, have a conversation without stuttering, which mm-hmm. is kind of hard. Um, and even, and yeah, even getting to that point where where you know. You could have backed away um, before he even got there and uh, said, no, I can't do it. But, you know, even that is a, a barrier for a lot of people um, that, that some people can't uh, that can't break down. I remember when I was a teenager, meeting my heroes um, was exactly the same. I was nervous as anything. Um, and now, um, you know, if I walk up to a player um, as they're coming out of, of the ground or whatever, um, I can quite easily do it now. The more you do it, the more you get used to it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, back in the day, I know exactly where you're coming from with the nervous, the nervousness, the butterflies, the anxiety, the complete, um, in some cases, um, uh, you know, lack of brain thought. Your brain just freezes, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think what was nice is that it was just me and him and James was there as well and the people that organised it. So there wasn't a lot of people around me, so I didn't feel so awkward. But I, I, the thing is, I still can't go and speak to players after games. I just can't do it. Something I just shut down. Like even thinking about it, I'm shutting down. Like oh my god, I can't do it. But um, that was really nice. And and he's my favorite, not just because of that, but because of the way he plays, his attitude, the, the stuff he does for the club. Um, there's this, there's a really poorly little boy, um, called Bobby, and he's a lovely kid, and he's not been very well at all. And Duke does a lot of video calls with him and, and he sent him a signed shirt and, and he does a lot of the PR stuff for the club. And, and it's just really heartwarming that we've actually got an actual human 
on our mm-hmm. team. Um, so that that it's not just the little thing. I think a lot of the stuff that he does makes him my favourite player. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to him for for, for doing that as well. Um, yeah. It is sometimes very difficult to forget that players are human, um, and it's sometimes difficult for players to forget that there are um, people out there who who appreciate that, and they don't necessarily always understand um, the effect that they have on people. And just uh, just an acknowledgement of somebody, um, you know, signing a shirt or a program or something, and uh, you know, for a kid, a little ruffle of the hair, uh, and they'll go away smiling, and they'll remember that for the rest of their life. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Fair play to him for that. Um, and your favourite all-time Blues player? Oh, it has to be Craig Gardner. <laughs> has to be Craig Gardner. Funny story. I remember being... Oh, God, how old was I? I think I was 14. Um, I was getting ready for a party. And funny enough, funny how life comes around in circles. I was watching the Carlin Cup final on my telly. I remember being glued to the screen that day. It should have like resonated with me at the time. But obviously, you know, things come around. Um, and I remember watching Craig and thinking, wow, like, just the way that he played, it just gripped me. I just thought he was mm-hmm. brilliant. And I always used to watch him on Match of the Day as well. But no matter what team he played for, I used to just watch Craig and think I liked how he played. Um, and then, obviously, when I went to watch Blues more often um, and, and he was in a team, I, I always would get really excited and and shout his name when they were doing the team sheet and, you know, number eight, Craig Gardner, you know, it's like, oh, my God. Um, that were fangirling. Um, mm-hmm. And now he's on the coaching staff as well. So that, that makes me happy. But, yeah, Craig is my – I think because I, I – when I first got into football, Craig was there. Um, and things have obviously come full circle for me. I think Craig has to be my all-time favourite Blues player. Mm-hmm. Because he, uh, yeah, that cup final originally was the uh, the Carling Cup final, or the yeah, 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 uh, that they they beat Arsenal, of course. Um, yeah. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure people have regaled you with the uh, with the emotions of uh, over Femi Martins uh, and his little tapping in front oh, yeah. of the Blues fans. <laughs> oh yes. And stories oh, yes. of Europe the next the next uh, the next season and the last minute winner in Bruges and and whatnot. Yeah, James was there for most of them, so I've had almost first hand stories um and and just sounds incredible and he keeps going oh maybe one day we'll get back there uh, maybe mm-hmm. we will but you know i'm not holding my breath right now <laughs> well one of the things that you will um you will always remember is your first promotion uh, and again that's a recurring theme again on the, on the podcast what people say um uh, and when it happens you'll never you will never forget it i can certainly never forget mine uh 93, 94. Uh, yeah, it's really, uh, really good days. So, um, but Emily, it's um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, it's been a good couple of hours. Um, really, really therapeutic for me. Hopefully, it's been enjoyable for you as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, no problem at all. So, uh, just quickly um, talk to us about where we can get her game to. Where can we see um, see them on social media and whatnot? Oh, goodness. So we've got quite a few. Um, I think we're on, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have our own website now. Um, and all of us girls, you can find us on the website as well. Um, and if you just type the ha- in the hashtag HerGame2, you'll be able to find us all individually as well. Um, and just if you're, you know, if you want to reach out to us or tell us any of your stories, um, inbox us on Twitter is probably the best place to get us. 
uh, or drop us an email. Um, all that is all over our socials as well. Um, so just search her game too, and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And uh, on similar vein with Terrace Memoirs, you can find me um, at Terrace Memoirs on Twitter. There is a Facebook group of the same name. Email me if you want to come on the show um, or you want to offer any sort of feedback, any criticism, any um, absolutely anything. Um, and uh, you can email me as well. It's uh, terracememoirs at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, Emily, as I say, it's been uh, really, really good two hours. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and um, thank you very much for uh, telling us your story. Thank you very much for having me on. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Not a problem. No, this is Terrace Memoirs, episode three, again, two, over and out.